1: Welcome to Dissect, long-form musical analysis broken into short, digestible episodes. I'm your host, Cole Kushner. Our first season of Dissect is dedicated entirely to Kendrick Lamar's 2015 masterpiece, To Pimp a Butterfly. Over the course of nearly 20 episodes, we're going to dive deep into this incredibly rich record, we'll break down both the musical and lyrical content while also analyzing the album's overall narrative arc. There's a lot to unpack on this record. From the thematically rich narrative of the album's opening track, Wesley's series, Hit me. When
2: the four corners of the-
1: striking introspection and honesty of you,
2: you, the why Mama no, you, you deny you can and tribulations of burden. Everyone felt it
1: Everyone to the complexities of race class and identity on blacker the berry
2: I'm the biggest hypocrite in 2015 Once I finish this, witness, this will convey what I mean I mean it's evident that I'm irrelevant to society That's what you're telling me, penitentiary would only hire me Curse me till I'm dead Church me with your fake and that I'ma be just another slave in my head Institutional lies, manipulation and lies Reciprocation of freedom only live in your eyes you
1: hate me, And of course, the dramatic conclusion in which Kendrick speaks to Tupac from Beyond the Grave Do you
2: see yourself as Somebody that's rich or somebody that made the best of their own opportunities. I see myself as a natural born hustler, a true hustler in every sense of the word. I took nothing, I took the opportunities. I worked at the the most menial and degrading job and built myself up so I can get it to where I owned it. Uh, I went from having somebody manage me to me hiring the person that works my management company. I changed everything. I realized my destiny in a matter of five years. You know what I'm saying? And made myself a millionaire.
1: As evident in these excerpts, to Pimp a Butterfly is bursting at the seams with thematic content. It's a true narrative a carefully crafted concept album that spans Kendrick's journey from Caterpillar to Butterfly, from Prostitute to Pimp. It's rich with complex layers, double and triple meanings, and examines themes of race, class, identity, consumerism, fame, and self-doubt, not to mention the exceptional funk-influenced musical landscape on which it all rests. While the majority of episodes this season will focus entirely on a single track from To Pimp a Butterfly, we're going to preface our examination with two brief introductory episodes. Today, we'll dive into the tumultuous world of Compton, California and its transformation from an agricultural city to an urban battleground. We'll also explore Lamar's upbringing in Compton and his transformation from K-Dot, the adolescent mixtape rapper, to Kendrick Lamar, the fully mature artist. Our next episode will focus entirely on dissecting Good Kid Mad City, Lamar's major label debut. This of course will provide context, a solid foundation on which we'll house our exploration of Topimpa Pimp a Butterfly a deeply personal record that reconciles the conflict between Lamar's Compton upbringing and his newfound status as global icon. A few last bits of housekeeping before we dig in. First, if you don't own or have never listened to Lamar's To Pimp a Butterfly, that's okay. This podcast will make sense, and I'm excited to introduce it to you. Also, this podcast will inevitably contain lyrics with explicit content, so consider yourself warned. Finally, if you like what you hear, consider rating Dissect on iTunes. There's no team behind this podcast, it's just me, and ratings help. A lot. Without further ado, let's dissect. In 1867, Griffith Dickinson Compton led a group of 30 or so pioneers from Stockton, California, south to the area now known as Compton. They were seeking ways to earn a living other than goldfields, which were rapidly becoming exhausted. In 1889, Griffith donated his land to officially create the city of Compton, with its own city council and local government. It was rooted in agriculture and by 1930 had just one black resident. It wasn't until the 1950s and 1960s that Compton saw an influx of black families migrating from the South to California in the Second Great Migration. Looking for work and education, and to escape harsh discrimination, Jim Crow laws, violence and racial bigotry of the South, many of these migrants traveled to California and settled in the west side of Compton, whose neighboring city Watts already had an established black community. At the same time, the Great Migration yielded a phenomenon known as white flight across the United States. Middle class Caucasian families fled from cities with this new influx of African Americans. With them, they took a healthy portion of the city's tax base. The federal government also assisted white flight by withholding tax dollars for maintenance of urban cities like Compton and instead invested in propping up new middle-class suburban infrastructures, mostly inhabited by whites, and made off limits to blacks through redlining and residential segregation. This kind of institutional racism severely limited minorities from equal education and economic opportunities. Cities eroded, crime and poverty increased, causing frustration within the Compton and Watts community. That frustration peaked in the Watts Riots of 1965, incited by the police's abusive treatment of Marquette Frye and Rena Price. Over 30,000 adults participated in the riots that targeted the police and the destruction of white-owned businesses. Over six days, there were 34 deaths, 1,032 injuries, 3,438 arrests, and over 40 million in property damage. By 1970, the once white-owned, agricultural city of Compton was now over 90% African-American. Poverty and crime levels continued to rise until peaking in the 1980s and early 90s, ushered in by the introduction of crack cocaine and increased gang activity. It should be noted that the U.S. government supported the influx of crack cocaine into urban L.A. communities by propping up and in some cases paying Nicaraguan drug dealers who distributed the drug to local gangs and individual dealers in L.A. Of course, the solicitation of this cheap, highly addictive drug into poverty-stricken communities had an awful degenerating effect. Homicide rates increased due to conflicts between dealers, addiction led to increased robbery in broken homes, incarceration rates skyrocketed due to the government's war on drugs, and strict drug offense sentences that many feel targeted blacks and browns. For example, the sentence disparity between crack cocaine, a primarily black drug, and powder cocaine, a primarily white drug, was 100 to
2: 1. Off. A and are hard off. You too,
1: boy, it was into this world of drugs and gang violence that Kendrick Lamar Duckworth was born in 1987. Kenny Duckworth and Paula Oliver, Kendrick's parents moved to Compton from Chicago in 1984 to escape Mr. Duckworth's involvement in the Southside gangster's disciples. With $500 in their pockets, they stuffed their belongings into two black garbage bags and boarded a train to California. The two slept in cars, motels, and on park benches until they had enough money to afford an apartment, at which point they had Kendrick, the oldest of four children. Supplemented on welfare and food stamps, Paula cut hair and Kenny worked at KFC when he wasn't in the streets. Kendrick witnessed his first murder at the age of five, when a drug dealer was shot in front of his apartment building. He recalls at age six, witnessing his uncles, some of whom were Compton Crips, playing with shotguns and selling dope. Two of his uncles were incarcerated, and one was murdered in front of a burger stand when Kendrick was still a boy. Violence was a part of everyday life, and Kendrick grew, in his own words, immune to it. Still, Kendrick was a bright student in school, a quiet, observant boy who loved basketball and dreamed of being in the NBA. At age 7, Kendrick caught an unknowing glimpse into his own future. Tupac and Dr. Dre, shooting the original California Love video, were riding through the streets of Compton and stopped in the middle of the road near Kendrick's house. His dad propped little Kendrick on his shoulders, and Kendrick watched the two larger-than-life figures before him. The event made a lasting impression on Kendrick and as fate would have it, he would eventually sign to Dr. Dre's label and feature Tupac posthumously onto Pippa Butterfly. It wasn't until middle school that Kendrick tried his hand at writing his own rhymes. Kendrick credits his 7th grade English teacher, Mr. Inge, for turning him on to poetry, which attracted the introverted Kendrick as a form of self-expression. He would continue to write through high school, and it was during this time that Kendrick got caught up in the wrong crowd. Although he rarely gives specific details about the exploits of this time, Kendrick's mom recalls once finding Kendrick rolling on the ground in tears in front of their house after getting shot at. Another time, she found a bloody hospital gown Kendrick wore when accompanying his friend who'd been shot to the hospital. Kendrick was even kicked out of the house for a few days after the police showed up to his parents' door, involved in an unnamed incident. One day, Kendrick's dad sat him down and told him he didn't want to see Kendrick grow up to be like him. He told Kendrick, quote, things I've done, mistakes I've made, I never wanted you to make those mistakes. You can wind up out on the corner. Kendrick said out of respect, he gathered himself together. Music would be the vessel Kendrick would use to escape a tragic destiny that he seemed to be heading towards. At the age of 16, Kendrick put out his first mixtape called Hub City Threat, Minor of the Year, under the moniker K-Dot. The tape is full of young bravado, and though it's stylistically a long way from the Kendrick we know today, the young rapper was clearly gifted.
2: Look, homie, I'm not your quick or your blood, nah. homie. I'm just Kendrick. See me other than him, my pleat the fifth amendment. Hard headed nigger, shit. All it take is an instant. Shot for having scarred just as soft as an infant. Ooh. Say you brush your gun, but never totin' it. Huh? You say your man is dope, dope. I think he's smoking it, homie. Why you provoking it? Don't mean to boast a bit, but you can call me a fly, cause your boy be on some shit. Put some fly so
1: all the tape caught the attention I'm of shit. Anthony Top Tiffith a local record, <laughs> record producer. Legend has it, Tiffith brought Kendrick to a studio where the young MC freestyled for two hours until Tiffith signed him to Top Dog Records, a newly formed indie label based in Carson, California. Over the next few years, K.Dot would release a series of mixtapes that would prove to be a training ground for a young MC finding his voice. Through these mixtapes, including Training Day of 2005 and C4 of 2009, you can hear him developing his pen and solidifying his voice. While still heavy in young braggy bravado, Kendrick begins to introduce themes of Compton street living and self-reflection. Good morning,
2: Come on in America Come on in America A new day, we got a hectic schedule ahead of us The letter K, D-O-T had a space like a Microsoft keypad you can't see me, invisible ski mask, poke the eyes out my beanie, ghetto Zorro, on the headlines I leave feces, on niggas, stick up my flow coming plural, multiple huff it, majority, love it, I got the masses, meaning society. Kendrick,
1: still performing as K-Dot, also began touring at this time with labelmate J-Rock, an opening for the likes of fellow Compton native The Game. Later in 2009, he dropped the name K-Dot in favor of Kendrick Lamar, his first and middle name.
2: K-Dot! The nickname, that been acquired since I was a kid, just being in the neighborhood, you know, something given to me by just my homeboys growing up in Compton. So that name I always be there. You know, I go back to the city now, they don't, they don't call me Kendrick. I just felt like it was, a, it was a time for me to grow, you know, not only as a, an artist, but as a person. I want the, you know, the world to know me for who I am. And um, I just sat back and reflect on why Tupac you know, it was one of the greatest Bigs, one of the greatest YJs, because the people felt like they had a connection. It wasn't just a, a facade that you've seen on stage or on, you know, on TV. People actually felt like, you know, it was a part, you know, of what you was going through and, and you know, your worries and, and just life in general. You know, I said, you know, what, what better way to start that rather than, you know, giving them my real name, letting them know who I am as a person.
1: Kendrick soon released a self-titled extended play under his new moniker, with this release and name change, it was clear that Kendrick had a new vision for his music and himself as an artist. Let's listen to I Am, from the Kendrick Lamar EP, a manifesto of sorts for an artist coming of age.
2: See I don't understand me. My plan B is to win your hearts before I win a Grammy. Kendrick Lamar words like a sword in the hands of a Spartan marching on Rosecrans and Compton. You can't cause conflict or corrupt my spirits. I'm on point like pirate. I've been there and gone before you get near it. Oh wait. That boy remind me of a young Martin Luther, the way he piece up troopers and round up shooters like Malcolm X did. I stand for what I believe in. Family God and honor from Chicago. My daddy and my mama came to Compton to accomplish one thing. Raise a king, reign supreme named Kendrick. I ain't lying, to stand for king and I am one. My unborn son and grandson will live royal. From the coochie to the soil. The meek shall inherit the Earth. Well, I had this world since birth. Feel the good kids' hunger. The Crips make strong. The pie rules make stronger. Muscle in my heart. Stare with the eyes of Mozart and tell him I'm the genius. Do my ducky and grab my penis. Cause I means this with all my soul. And you can't control greatness unless you hatin' with the heart of Satan. But even that can't stop it. Nigga, get out my wallet and put passion in your logic. Passion in your life. The passion of my crisis in me. And if you say it ain't, you may offend me. Damn that boy good. Brightest Thomas Edison. But Gucci manhood. He stood alone for so long. Prolong his whole career. But now he's here. You can shoot shots with so cheer. Cause I...
1: Damn. With a more acute focus on self-reflection and purpose, Kendrick continued to record the mixtape Overly Dedicated in 2010, while touring extensively with Tech 9 and J-Rock. Upon its release in September of 2010, Overly Dedicated entered the Billboard Top 100, peaking at number 72. The song Ignorance is Bliss, along with its dramatic video that portrays Kendrick shooting a gangbanger in retaliation of a dead friend, would find its way to megastar and Compton native Dr. Dre. The two would develop a working relationship, with Kendrick helping on Dre's unreleased Detox album. Just ten months after releasing Overly Dedicated, Kendrick released Section 80, a collection of songs some label a mixtape while others claim it an album. In truth, the release feels like both. An artist whose vision cannot be contained by the disposable constraints of a mixtape, but whose background in mixtapes is clearly evident. Regardless, Section 80 was an ambitious release. The album's title refers to both government-funded low-income housing known as Section 8 housing and the 1980s, the crack-ridden decade in which Kendrick was born. The tracks are clearly connected thematically and loosely held together with a reoccurring skit that features an unnamed leader preaching to an audience around an intimate campfire. Gather round.
2: I'm glad everybody came out tonight. As we stand on our neighborhood corner know that this fire that's burning represents the passion you have listen
1: in this way the tracks come off as sermons with kendrick speaking directly to his community though the album is heavily themed in drugs sex and violence Rather than flaunting and glorifying these issues, Kendrick provides insights to why his community commonly falls victim to these
2: vices. <laughs>
1: Section 80 clearly displays Kendrick's new vision as an artist and his desire to elevate hip-hop, himself, and his community to new heights through self-analysis, self-empowerment, cultural criticism, leadership, and unmatched lyrical prowess. The album concludes with Absol, Lamar's label mate, asking Kendrick, and perhaps the world at large, a question. Kendrick replies with a proclamation of purpose, warning critics to not mistake him for another half-truth rapper talking about hoes, clothes, and money. But as someone thoroughly examining these vices, their history, their purpose, their pitfalls, let's hear it.
2: Can you repeat that for me, so? What's your life about Enlighten me? Is you going live on your knees or die on your feet? If you go the fifth or sound the horn? The time is now, my child, come on. See, a lot of y'all don't understand Kendrick Lamar because you wonder how I can talk about money, holes, clothes, God, and history all in the same sentence. You know what all them things have in common? Only half of the truth, if you tell it. See, I spent 23 years on this earth searching for answers. Till one day I realized I had to come up with my own I'm not on the outside looking in I'm not on the inside looking out I'm in the dead fucking center looking around You ever seen a newborn baby kill a grown man? That's an analogy for the way the world make me react My innocence been dead So the next time I talk about money, hoes, clothes, God and history All in the same sentence Just know I meant it and you felt it Cause you too are searching for answers I'm not the next pop star I'm not the next socially aware rapper I am a human motherfucking being over dope ass instrumentation. take you
1: me At just 23 years of age, Kendrick still seems set on proving himself as an MC, and for that reason, Section 80, at least by comparison to his later works, feels slightly unpolished. Still, Section 80 is a triumph and garnered high praise within the hip-hop community, and remains an underground classic. Just a month after its release, Kendrick was named the new king of the west coast by Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, and The Game at a concert in LA. Within 6 months, Kendrick was signed to Aftermath, Dr. Dre's branch of the major label Interscope, He also leveraged his demand to ensure TDE, the label that signed him when he was 16, received a joint venture deal with Interscope. It would seem the national stage was now prime for Kendrick Lamar. With backing by Dre, major label funding, national distribution, a strong sense of purpose, and years spent in the studio perfecting his craft, Kendrick would go to work on his pivotal major label debut Good Kid Mad City. I think at this point it's important to recognize that with the hype and backing, Kendrick could have easily chosen a formulated, commercialized path. He had his choice of top producers, songwriters, and collaborators to make any type of album he'd like. But as we'll discuss in more detail later, Kendrick's actions and decision-making aligns with his messaging on record. He would choose a path of artistry and storytelling over a traditional commercial album. Those geniuses reveal when you realize he obtains both through carefully calculated maneuvers. Good Kid Mad City is a concept album that spans one pivotal day in Kendrick's teenage upbringing in the streets of Compton. It's a coming-of-age story that displays Kendrick's transformation from K.Dot to Kendrick Lamar. The album is widely deemed a classic, which in hip-hop circles is equivalent to Masterpiece, and I can't wait to explore it with you next time on Dissect. Dissect is written and produced by me, if you enjoy Dissect, remember to rate and review on iTunes. It really helps. For additional content, including a Tapimpa Butterfly album map, follow us at Dissect Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit DissectPodcast.com. Theme music by Bureaucratic. For more, visit bureaucratic.bandcamp.com.